This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. Each week, I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 8. My guest today is Sandy, who self-identifies as a Christian, a woman, a millennial, an African, and an American. Sandy prefers the pronouns she and her. Welcome, Sandy. I'm so glad you could be here. Welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you, Amy. I'm so glad to be here. So, Sandy, I'd like to start off with a question that I ask everybody to begin with. How do you self-identify? First and foremost, I would say I'm a Christian. Uh, It's the most important thing to me. I am a woman. I'm a millennial. I am African. I'm American, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, a granddaughter, a friend, I'm grateful. When you talk about being an American and being an African, I happen to know this about you, but the people listening do not, you really mean you're actually from Africa. That's right. I was born on the continent. And um, I migrated here as a kid. Um, I've been in the States longer than I was on the continent. Um, So, and also an American citizen. So I think that American part of me is very, very strong. And it's um, part of my gratefulness. But my heritage is very much um, diverse and... um, my time on the continent, my family, the friends that I surround myself with that um, share that experience are also very important to me. Um, so African and American. Wonderful. Thank you. Sandy, do you remember when you first became aware of the different gender roles? I do. Um, I think that it was very apparent to me when... I moved to the United States. Um, I think seeing my, my, my friends growing up, um, their experiences at home, the roles of their, uh, their mom and dad and what they did, um, seeing that just opposed to how my mom and dad were living their lives was very different. Um, I had friends whose dad cooked. Um, I had friends whose uh, mom was working outside the home, uh, and moms who stayed at home. I remember when it really became apparent to me, though, was when we were getting ready for um, my cousin's graduation, and all of us were getting ready to prepare for this amazing opportunity, great experience. We had a lot of guests and friends coming over, and my male cousins were sitting down, watching cartoons, 
and my female cousins and myself, we were cleaning the house and we were cooking the food and just making sure that everything was just so. And having been to my friends' houses where birthday parties or anniversaries, everyone was involved in the cleanup and getting ready um, and cooking and serving and meeting the guests. It occurred to me that this was different and something about my being female meant that my role was to be um, helping and hosting um, and then being male was to not. I'm curious, did you ask your parents about it? Did you say or anything to your sisters or did you just kind of observe? I think I observed and uh, I don't think it was until college where I feel like I had the vocabulary to come and uh, speak in a very um, intellectual way of, of what I was seeing uh, without saying, I, I didn't want my reflections to somehow say that I was choosing the American way of doing things versus the African way of doing things or that my friend's houses were better than my house. Um, it was just different and um, to me, it was different and didn't seem fair because there was work to be done and more bodies are better than, than less. Um, but when I, was, when I was in college and I came home, I think it was my uh, first semester actually, I had a lot of different experiences and questions and, and things to my mom and I asked her, so why is it that when we had that party long ago, um, they didn't do this, but we had to do that? And she said, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. But I, I hate that it's that way. And I said, me too. And I realized actually in college that seeing what I saw as a kid, and it happened multiple times, not just at the graduation party, um, seeing the different roles that my male cousins were allowed to do and uh, me and my female cousins were not allowed to do made me decide um, subconsciously that I was going to do differently. And so what, one of the things that turned out that way was I refused to learn how to cook. My, my reasoning at the time was if I can't cook, then I can't be forced to be cooking when the guests arrive because I can be with the guests as well. And so that worked well for me um, all through high school. And then in college, freshman year, made a lot of friends who are also African and American and African Americans and uh, friends from the Caribbean and from all over. And we were all just talking about life and, and college. And um, But as we have everywhere since then, we have parties and we are all getting together to divide the work. And I saw my new friends who are male and female cooking and making amazing food from from their homes, from their home city, from their home country, from wherever they came from. And I could not contribute because I did not know how to cook. And seeing my uh, peers, male and female, doing something is a skill that really an adult should know how to do, um, really challenged me to then pick up a recipe book and start learning how to cook for myself, not because I was female and that would be a role that I'd be relegated to. That's a great story. Sandy, what gender issues do you personally find yourself confronting in the workplace? Or is it a non-issue for you? I think the biggest gender issue that I see in the workplace is lack of diversity. Uh, lack of diversity in the voices around the table. 
um, as we are grappling with whatever issue comes before us um, and dealing with um, identifying solutions. And, I, and by diversity, I, I mean um, race. I think that um, I'm often the only brown face in the room, the only black face in the room, um, but I'm also often the only young face in the room. I would say that in my day-to-day, um, at work, on the street, um, on my church, wherever I'm going, I'm very much aware, well, depending on the setting, uh, sometimes it's it's the fact that I'm black and I'm walking around. Um, when I am traveling, I'm very much aware that I'm American. Um, and depending on, actually, wherever I am, as the sun begins to set, I'm always female. And so this, this knowledge of uh, just being extra alert and, and know where I'm walking and who I'm walking with and how I'm getting where I'm going, um, I think is something that makes me aware of my, my gender in a different way. But I also think, and, and most recently, uh, this is something that, I was, that was not very much my radar, but most recently, I'm also thinking about the privileges that I get by being female in this country. Um, could, could you say more to that? Absolutely. But I think the most recently, with all of the news and social media about violence against black men, uh, made me realize the privilege that I have as a black woman. Um, I think that there is equally different ways in which black women are subjected to violence than black men, but the navigating the streets, Trayvon Martin's case really hit me really hard. Um, and he wasn't the first child, and so far has not been the last child. It made me think differently about the different places that I've been able to navigate and, and travel in um, while being black and female and, and feeling safe. And whether it's a false sense of security, I'm not sure, but it's definitely a different awareness that I have for my male brothers and my male brothers uh, of of different ages, and it's really not even adults; it's children. And so, that's something that I'm thinking about um, even now. Um, and I think you, for me, although different spaces allow me to think of different parts of my identity, I don't think it's anything I can really remove from my gender identity. I think that my gender identity is very much formed by the fact that I'm also African and American and black and a millennial. There's all these pieces are tied by how I experience my gender. Sandy, can you tell me about a time when you thought that you could not do something or that you thought there's something I could do, but the consequences would be so great that it wasn't worth trying? I think I have to do a little bit more thinking for um, the adult me to see how this, this question plays a role. But definitely, I think two experiences um, in my college years, adolescence college years, um, come to mind. So the first was my decision to move away from my home state to go to college. And I think the same thing happened again with a graduate program that I was um, about to undertake. In both cases, the idea of stepping out into the unknown was scary. Um, I had 
taken some time to cultivate a community. I, I knew what was expected of me and I was comfortable, basically, I would say. Um, so I grew up in New England and I came to college in DC and I did some research um, back when I was making decisions of where to go and it just made sense to stay in New England. It was close to home. Um, the flights were very close. I could drive home. Uh, it just made sense. My friends were in the area. Um, I could take, I could study international relations anywhere. But I got into Georgetown and my aunt was adamant that I come to Georgetown. So I did some research. I like to do research before I make a decision. Um, and I studied the city and saw that it was quite dangerous in certain parts. Um, I had a friend, a family member who, who said, well, you know, there's a lot of gun violence in DC. And then I visited um, during a missions weekend and saw a lot of parties going on. And I mentioned earlier that I don't drink. So it just seemed like I would be very uncomfortable. It wouldn't be a place for me. Although it's, it's nation's capital, there's great opportunities to learn more about different cultures and different communities, and especially with international relations, why not? But I was comfortable staying in New England. My aunt sat me down and said, listen, Sandy, you are, um, you're black, you're African, you're an immigrant, and you're a woman. It's important for you to um, go to the school and not only prove to communities who say that you would not fit in this space, but also to not let fear stop you. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of research out there. I know you're doing some research. There's a lot of research out there that will freak you out, that will make you scared. But if you can conquer this, think of other things that you can conquer. And so um, I said, well, you know, I see there's a re there's an opportunity for transferring, so I could go, and if I transfer, but I went and I had the most amazing four years, and I love loved my Georgetown community and continue to love it um, even now with a lot of alumni that I meet everywhere. Um, but I would not have gone if I had stayed in my safe bubble, which I really wanted to stay in. The same thing happened with grad school. Um, and that was less about safety, but more about, um, I didn't want to leave people behind. Um, I had people who were counting on me and had thought, well, you know, if you're here and I'm here, we could just have a really good time. But um, my mom sat me down and she said, you need to pursue your dreams. And by you pursuing your dreams, you create opportunities for others to do the same. So if that's where you want to go, then go. If you don't want to go, you want to stay, then stay. But don't let a sense of obligation hold you back. Um, because as you're pursuing, they too have their lives to pursue. And it will work out. Um, and now thinking back to my adulthood, um, I think that there isn't really one big thing that um, stands before me, um, keeps me from, from, from pursuing something because of what could happen, what not could happen. It's a lot of little things. And um, I recently read um, a quote that said, it takes just as much energy 
to fear as it does to faith. And the idea that the future is unknown and there's a lot of uncertainty and you can do as much research as I like to do as you want. However, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So you can either let fear hold you back. The family of fear is one I'm very familiar with. So there's there's the fear, but there's also preparing for worst case scenarios is also an aspect of fear. Um, so I could try to hedge my bets in that way also an aspect of fear. Or I could be bold. I could be um, bold in my faith and step out and prepare yourself with what you can. But understand that as you take this step, you don't know where it might land. And in as much as it could end up being something scary, maybe even horrible, it could also be great. And I'm going to expect the great. And I'm going to put my faith in God. As I would say that it's important as a person following God to have faith, I would ask him for more faith. Um, but put my faith in God and, and step out. You've mentioned your faith. If you don't mind, I would love to hear your perspective on that. So the question is whether my faith has impacted my view of gender. How? It's not, well, I guess part of it is whether, and then if the answer is yes, then how? It's a continual journey. Uh, I would say that the, the first uh, moment where I felt, um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents found it important for me to be, to be raised in a Christian church, in a church, rather, I was just say church. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to the United States that I realized that I was raised, raised in a Catholic home. But to me, that's Christian. So it was all Christian homes. But in the U.S., I was presented with um, Episcopalians and Lutherans and Baptists and all these other different denominations that when I was a kid, just Christian is what it was. Um, but I think the first moment... So I, was, I grew up thinking, okay, I'm a Christian because my mom's a Christian, um, my dad's a Christian, and my family members are Christian, so I'm Christian. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized that it had to be a decision that I made for myself. Uh, I wasn't just grandfathered into um, the faith. I think I experienced a lot of aspects of faith with the church, with my family, but it wasn't until that I made a personal decision for myself to really find out who who God is, um, who is Jesus, um, what does his life mean to me? Um, should it impact my life? Should it just be something that happens on Sunday? I just go to church on Sunday and I move on through my week? Or do I want to learn more about him? Do I want to have a relationship with him? Does he want to have a relationship with me? What does Christianity really mean to me? So as a, as a teenager, I was asking these questions, and I think it really was, was clear to me when my mom said that forgiveness was important. And I was really struggling because um, I had a, a, a certain individual who, in my mind, had just been absolutely horrible, and I was ready to write them off, and I was not interested in ever engaging. I was moving on. And she said, you have to forgive them. God asks you to forgive and that there's a scripture that says that if you can't forgive, he can't forgive you. If I don't forgive the individual, God cannot forgive me. 
And as a kid, I, I, it was just outstanding. It was, a, it was a random claim. So I had to look in the Bible and find the scripture and found it and said, what, what do I need to be forgiven about? I'm a kid. I'm not doing anything wrong. And my mom reminded me that just that week I had stolen a few quarters from her purse. Um, she had the, the, the roll of coins from the bank. And so I opened a roll to take a few coins to buy something from my school store, which I thought was really important for me to have. And um, she went in her purse and the, the roll of coins was opened. So she knew that I had done it, so I couldn't say that I didn't do it. But that that was also a sin that had to be forgiven. The same as um, this person who had done me wrong in some way. So then I had to wonder whether I cared. And so there's a little bit of time of whether I care, whether or not God forgives me. Then I realized I did care. I wanted to be in in a good relationship with him um, and realized that I needed him to forgive me. And I needed him to help me forgive because I was it was it was hard to forgive. But then I think that reading the Bible then became more than a Sunday exercise at church and more of to really have a relationship with Christ, I have to know who Christ is. I have to read the Bible. And there's um, a section in Genesis where it says that he created um, them, male and female, and they're created in his image. And there's many places in the Bible where it talks about how um, in Christ we are neither um, male or female, Jew or Greek, and other different things. But the female part of it resonated because I'm, I'm a woman. And so I thought it was important, I thought it was interesting that the Bible thought it was important to say male, female, to have stories of not just King David, but also Queen Esther, not just um, what the male disciples were doing, but also the role of, of the women as the first to discover that Jesus had risen from the dead. So that there were intentional moments in there where women are woven in. But taking it from more of a biblical experience to more of a personal experience, I'll step back and say that um, I, as a kid, remember trying to figure out what my passion was and thinking passion would be something that makes me really happy and the things that make me happy will be the, you know, that's my passion. Pursue that your things that make you happy. But a lot of things make me happy. And it was hard to distinguish which things are more, um, maybe more happier than others. But then... I read somewhere that your passion is also that that makes you angry. And nothing makes me more angry than seeing uh, the marginalization of people. And in particular, marginalization of women. And in particular, gender-based violence. I think that is something that just really, really at my core bothers me makes me really, really angry. And so it's a passion of mine, I found. Um, and going back to what I had to forgive, as a kid, I grew up in a, a very strong Christian home. Um, but I also grew up in a home where domestic violence was very much the norm. It was normal for me as a child to see my dad um, hit my mom. It wasn't until I went to my other friends' houses and saw the parents acting differently that I thought that maybe it's not normal for your dad to hit your mom. And so as I matured a little bit, I realized actually it's not. It's, it's bad. 
it's it's horrible. And as for that reason, I cannot forgive my dad. And that is the story that my mom then said I had to forgive, for God to forgive me. And that my stealing of coins was equally as much a sin as, as my dad and what he had done. The adult in me now realizes that he grew up in a violent home. Um, his grandparents, both my grandparents grew up in violent homes. And it's really a generational thing that's been very much in my family. Um, and a, a really, I would say, a curse that I absolutely want to break. But I think that in my experience, um, and, I, and I can't speak for other faith communities, I can't speak for other ways in which folks have um, experienced their Christianity, but I have, growing up in that same Christian home, heard time and time again that a woman must submit to her husband and have heard the Bible taken out of context to justify abuse. Um, and so I had to wrestle with that and had to realize, well, how can, is this a God I want to really get to know? Do I want to be Christian? This doesn't make any sense. But in more of reading the text, I realized that as, as humans, we take the Bible and use it for our own political gains. And that doesn't have to necessarily be, um, you know, in large senses in terms of how governance, how governments work, but really even in the home. Um, who is able to read the Bible? Who is seen as the authority? Um, and when that happens, things are taken out of context. Um, so I was able to read and study for myself and realize that actually God is not for abuse in the home. He absolutely is against injustice and came, sent his son to eradicate that. Um, and that the union um, of his family is so, so important to him that when he created the male, that was beautiful. When he created them female, that was beautiful. That we are each equally in our identities, important and valuable, so valuable to him that he sent his only son. And that to me is something that um, gives me so much peace and also fuels my passion for why I think it's so important for us to, to stop using these, these um, scriptures out of context to justify things that we say are in the name of God. And abuse is one of those things that is used quite a bit. Um, I've been privileged in having um, wonderful women and men um, of faith who stand, who stand up and really understand the text and read the text and wrestle with the text and who love their communities and their families so wonderfully um, to really change the narrative that I grew up thinking. Um, I've seen... Women, you know, you mentioned looking for other voices of, 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 of faith. Um, I've seen female reverence. Um, I've had wonderful mentors in that space. Um, deacons, preachers, writers, um, and male reverence and teachers and preachers as well. It's just not, it's not often that we see women in that space. Um, not just as churchgoers, but actually those who are studying the text and sharing what they've learned. And also, um, seeing that it's not just their uh, their gender, but their race as well. And I'm excited to see more um, people of color in the United States writing and teaching and talking about what faith means to them and what it 
means for our communities that really want to engage in making this world a better place. So um, it's been something that I've been really thinking about. And, um, you know, there are moments that I, I want to study more um, and, and learn more about, you know, okay, not just generally from my personal experience or from my personal beliefs, but, or how I engage in my local community, but also what about this other issue that I'm grappling with? How can we as a body work together in this space? Um, and I think there's definitely room and space for that. And that's something that I'm going to pursue a lot more. Um, but it center to my identity is, is all the various pieces of who I am, but also knowing that those pieces are exactly what God wanted me to be and do. Um, and I'll tell, I'll, I'll end with a joke. Actually, I had, um, um, a, a dating experience with, um, a guy who, uh, was very passionate about his faith as well. So in my mind, that sounds like a great, we are completely aligned. This is wonderful. And, um, he was talking about sexual violence, actually. Um, I don't know how, how, how much this podcast is going to go with Amy, so you let me know if this is too much. But uh, put, put, Don't worry about it. Okay. Don't worry about so it. We will figure this we'll out. We'll figure this yeah. out. Okay. So um, he said that he was, you know, he was, he was teaching. Uh, he was a teacher in his church, and he was he was teaching about um, the role of women and men, and in particular the role of women and men in marriage. And so, um, as a, a scholar of gender and um, as a Christian, I was really intrigued. So, and also as one who was dating this individual, I want to hear about your thoughts of of the role of women and men in marriage. And um, I thought we would talk about, you know, the division of, of work in the house. I thought we would talk about um, many different things. What I did not anticipate him mentioning was the role of sex in marriage. But by all means, I'm happy to talk about it. Let's, let's, let's hear what you have to say. And he said that, um, well, first he implied that it was okay for um, a man to have sex with his wife when she was not interested. And so I said, well, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. And he said, well, you know, sometimes, you know, the women I, I hear are just not interested, you know, but if you're married, you've basically said that um, your body is his. And so if he wants to have sex, you just have sex. And I said, against her will? And he said, well, it's, it wouldn't really be against her will because she married him. So therefore, she is very much um, agreeing to it, even though she at that moment she's not interested. And so, of course, that my passion rose for a little bit. And I had to step back a little and say, so I'm not sure I'm hearing you correctly. Are you saying that it's okay for him to force his, sex, his wife to have sex? And he said, it's not really forcing if she said yes. If she said yes, she said, I do. I said, well, actually, it is. That is called rape, and it's a crime. And um, I don't know where you think it's okay. It's absolutely not okay. And so, you know, I went with him, and we talked through the statute and talked through all of that. I think he, 
in his mind, he was well-meaning. He was trying to um, really talk about... I have no idea what he was talking about because there was no excuse. So we had a conversation and I tried to be calm uh, because it's easier for people to hear you when you're calm. Despite how seething I was in, in my mind and my mind was... I was yelling you know, bright red, caution, caution, caution. So we had the conversation and then I said, well, you know, I think it's really important that you study, study this a little bit more, uh, particularly the law, um, but also uh, think through why you think it's okay for a man to force another, his wife or another individual to have sex with him, um, that that would be, that would be a crime. Uh, the next question he, he said was whether it's okay for someone who has been um, sexually assaulted or uh, raped to go to the police because the Bible says it's important to forgive your enemies. So again, I had paused for a little bit and, and, and reflect on how I was going to answer this question uh, and said, so let me ask you a question. If someone, as you're walking down the street, comes out of nowhere and stabs you, do you go to the police then or do you forgive him? And he said, well, uh, absolutely, you go to the police. That's, that's, a, that's a crime. Hmm. If you're at home and someone breaks into your house and they, they vandalize your home, they, they may steal your, your, um, your TV, your computer, um, they may even shoot you as they're in the middle of doing all of that. Do you go to the police then or do you forgive them? And he said, well, I don't know why you're asking. This is, this is, a, this is a crime. That's a, so is sexual assault. So is rape. Um, all of those things are crimes. And you have, to, you have to report it. And if you, in a teaching position, are telling people not to report it, there's a problem. And that also might be a crime. I don't know. You should check that out and see. Um, and forgiveness is not something that is an or. You know, but that's something between that individual and themselves to figure out whether or not they will and how they will. Um, and prayerfully, God will get them to a place where they can forgive. But you cannot tell someone that that is not a crime because that is a crime. And so what was I thankful for in that moment was, A, that, you know, we had this open conversation that I was able to find out this was not my match. But also that... Um, Everyone doesn't know these things. And, and, and because of their experiences, they may not be passionate about those things. Um, but for me, growing up the way that I did, it's irrevocably tied to who I am and why it's a passion of mine. So whenever I see it, I have to confront it. But also that, um, yeah, I, I couldn't stay silent. So the, the funny part of this, because none of this was really funny, but the, the funny part of it is at the end, he says, so... Sandy, let me ask you a question. Are you a feminist? And I think he was saying in such a way that would kind of... Um, the derogatory? A derogatory yeah. way and kind of excuse everything that I said because, well, you oh, know, Sandy's, yeah, Sandy's yeah, a feminist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, actually, I'm not. I'm a Christian. And he had no words for that. And then he... And that was the end of our conversation. I hope that... Things have changed on his end, and he's a little bit more aware of the situations in which he was talking about and the platform he has as teacher. But um, I think that as 
as Christians, our hearts should bleed for those things that hurt God's heart. And I think that the issues, the injustices that we face because of our gender are things that hurt his heart. And ignorance hurts his heart as well. And we need to fight for those same things and cry for the same things and have empathy for the same things that he did. And um, absolutely, I think men and women are created equal and are deserving of all of the rights and opportunities. Um, just like I think the same way of our different racial backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and all the various backgrounds that we have. But my foremost identity as a Christian is that I believe that God created us and wants us all to have the same opportunities. So, yeah, to his question, I'm a Christian. Thank you so much for that beautiful, thoughtful answer, Sandy. Wow, you just took my breath away. I did not expect to have that experience, but I'm glad that I did because there are people out there who think that they do. Yeah. And um, the beauty of... of uh, of life is that you face many experiences and we all grow. Um, so my prayer for him um, is that he continues to grow, right? And get exposed to different things. And you don't know what you don't know, but once you know that you do something about it, there's so many areas in which I don't know. I really don't know. But as I learn, I, I hope to grow and I wish him the same. You mentioned, which I think is very insightful, you mentioned that the thing that strikes passion is not only the thing that you get excited about, but the thing that, that, that makes you cry. And that reminds me of this concept that I've heard called sacred activism. And my understanding is that activism is an effort to restore balance and harmony. And what sacred activism says is that when we engage in wanting to restore balance and harmony, that we make it sacred by being directed from a place other than our ego, and that it's, it's a higher authority, a higher power that is calling us to serve, and it also has a very strong sense of inclusion and oneness. And I really loved that, that sacred activism is activism that's coming from a higher authority. And I was once at a lecture where somebody was talking about this, and they were talking about the countless ways that we can engage in the world through the lens of sacred activism. And basically that any cause can be sacred if we come to it with this sense of inclusion and a compassionate heart. And somebody in the group said, you know, I, I like the concept, but I find it completely overwhelming because there are so many causes and there's so many issues that I simply don't know where to begin. And the other person said, well, if you feel overwhelmed and you're not sure where to start, then I'd say, look at the one, one or two issues that mean the most of you. What, what is the thing that breaks your heart the most? And that's where you begin. You know, you don't stop there, but that's a good starting point to, uh, to know where to invest your time and energy. And the other thing is that uh, this can change and shift over time as things evolve. I had not heard of that. Isn't that lovely? But that is, that's excellent. 
I, I will definitely look up that term. Um, and I think that really, if you, if you go there and, and that, that is the thing that hurts you, that, that, that breaks your heart the most, and that's where you're pushing, you find fulfillment. I think there's a lot of other things that you could do, but what breaks your heart is so unique and so specific that if you don't do it, there's a gap. Is there something that you would like regular, just everyday folk to start doing now to make a change around issues of gender in the United States? My hope um, for all of us as Americans and for those um, that are not Americans living in this country is to have more conversations. Um, about whatever the issue is, you know, whether it's the opening up of a new department store, um, it's the closing of um, a historic building, whether it's what school to go to or what team to root for or what showed up in social media, whatever the issue is, um, whether it's politics or you know, far away or, or locally, is to really have the conversation. Have the conversation with those around you, those you love, those you trust, but also have the conversation with those you don't know. And try to make that those circles, the conversation circles, as diverse as possible. Have it with men and have it with women. Have it with people of different ages. Have it with... Um, the high school student, have it with a college dropout, have it with those in the military, retired and active. Because I think that the conversations allow us to realize that there are many sides to an issue, um, but the root for why we care so much, we all have it in common. You know, we, we all share the same desires to be safe, to have opportunity, to um, have adventure. Um, and sometimes our perceived differences and even our just general differences separate us. And we have our conversations at separate tables. And so I enjoy talking about child rearing with parents. I don't have any children, but I love to hear what they think about it. I love to hear it from um, men and from women. I want to hear um, about, you know, flying, fear of flying, where have you flown, and hear from different people. And I think those conversations help us to not just address the issues that we have, because we do have a lot of issues, celebrate the amazing wins that we have, because there's a lot of great things happening that we don't hear enough of, but also, more importantly, strengthen our fabric. I think when we're collectively working together, united, there's so much we can address. And the issues of sexual harassment, of whether at school or the workplace, or this issue of sexual violence in the home, um, but also issues of poverty and the environment and race and class, all of those issues too can also be resolved. But when we start stop seeing the other as wrong, as different, as not meriting a voice. 
So I, I, would, I would say really just the conversation would be really helpful, um, even when it seems uncomfortable, especially when it seems uncomfortable. I, I have a really dear friend who is constantly telling me this. I, I feel like I should have it tattooed on my forehead. She keeps saying, Amy, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That is what we, like, that's what's happening now in this country. I, I think it's true for the world, but I'll focus just on this country. The time for comfort is over. Mm. We do not have the luxury of being comfortable anymore probably ever again and that as hard as it is because it's hard it's hard I don't like to sit with discomfort either but this idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable helps me it helps me deal with the stuff that scares me or that's what I think of when I hear you say that I think it's um like Dr. King said right injustice anywhere is a threat of justice everywhere I like what you said about the luxury of being comfortable because unless we're all comfortable, I don't really think we have a right to be comfortable. And then your point that, you know, we all, it helps you. I think that when we address the issue, the discomfort, it allows the opening space for all of us to be comfortable. That resonates with me too. Sandy, thank you so much. I have one last question, and it is truly as open-ended as it possibly could be. Is there anything that you want to say that was not raised in any of the questions or that you didn't already go there? Anything else that you would like to add about gender in the United States? There's no... One answer, there's no one statement that could be made about it um, because I'm not the expert on gender anywhere except for with me, my experience. And that um, it's important for me to recognize that, but also for, for others to do the same thing. And I think that kind of equalizes the situation. I think if you don't study gender formally, if you don't work in gender spaces um, formally, that you might feel that you're not qualified to talk about it. But all of us have a gender. All of us are impacted by it every single day, um, formally and informally. And so really, there's so much to say. And it can't be said unless everyone speaks their truth. And so... What I w would want to say is that I'm just so thankful that you're doing this because it really opens up a conversation. It opens up, there's a lot of takeaways that I'll be thinking about even after this. Oh, I'm and so glad. I look forward to hearing how others respond and what they said. Um, but I think what it really does is, is it says everyone's voice is really important. We really can't study this issue, even the idea of gender, until everyone's involved with it too. And your story and my story and his story and her story and their stories are so critical because we can only address that which we understand. And we don't understand it. We're still learning. So um, yeah, there's room for voices and I'm excited to hear more of them. Sandy, thank you so much. This has just been lovely and I appreciate your time and your insight and 
just grateful that, uh, that you came over today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm your host, Amy Breslow. I see each conversation as an adventure, and I love being surprised by where we go. If you find you had any questions during the discussion, I'd really like to know. You can submit questions on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. Your Own Voice is produced by your host with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with Protectorite. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in one or two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.